This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Hey, Chris here with Grace River Church, and I want to say thank you so much for watching online at home today. Today we are in week three of a sermon series that we're calling Sand, and we're really challenging people to think about what is it that your life is built on. My hope today is that you take a next step on your spiritual journey as you meet, know, and follow Jesus. And so uh, before we jump into this uh, sermon today, though, i got a quick story to tell you. I was uh, on a trip about a year ago uh, in St. Croix, and I went with a group of pastors. We were helping uh, plant and, and strengthen some new churches uh, in the St. Croix area, and it was a lot of fun. But on the last day of the trip on this island, I got a chance to go spearfishing. And so uh, I was actually really surprised, though, because I thought that spearfishing would mean that I would be on some big boat and I'd be shooting like from the boat a spear or something wasn't really quite sure what I was getting into, like most things on a trip like this. But uh, what I soon found out was that spearfishing meant that I would actually have to swim uh, amongst the fish and coral and uh, sand. And man, it was like not that great of a time, to be honest. And so, in fact, uh, at one point, I literally thought I was going to drown in about three feet of water because of how it was that the waves were picking up, smashing me into coral. And I was convinced that the tide was going to take either take me out or the tide was going to make me collide into coral uh, and I would pass out and die. I mean, these are, it sounds a little dramatic, but I was actually convinced of that. And what was even scarier was after I'd made it back to the shore, the guy, uh, his name is Enoch. He's a church planter. Enoch uh, was laughing whenever we got back to the shore and he was, he was actually terrified that we were going to die as well. Uh, and he just knew that because of the way the tide was and, and the three of us that were out there, me, Jeff, and Gary, and you would think in this picture uh, that Gary would have been the one struggling, our, you know, our older friend, he's about 20 years older than us, uh, that he would have been the one struggling, but he actually swam like a fish. It was me and Jeff. Jeff was a, a former D1 collegiate athlete, football player, uh, and I'm not athletic, but I thought, man, I could certainly hold my own because uh, I felt like I was in pretty decent shape last year when I went on this trip. But Enoch was scared about the two of us drowning. I mean, he was actually terrified. He was laughing about the fact that Gary held his own in the water and we really struggled a lot. And the reality was, is Enoch didn't feel like he'd be able to save both me and Jeff at the same time. And Jeff and I were joking about it. And we also thought we, we would have made lousy saviors for ourselves in that moment. There was no way we were going to be able to save ourselves. We were in a crisis. We were in a difficult moment. And there's no way we could have saved ourselves. And I don't know what you're up against today. I don't know what the tide has brought in. I don't know what kind of storm it is that you're going through. But the reality is, is that you and I both make really awful saviors. Like we're not good at it at all. And so today I want to really encourage you to think about what it is that you're building your life on. And I want you to know that no matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, it's not too late. Like uh, we're going to look at a story, actually two different teachings of Jesus today in Matthew chapter 7, also in Luke chapter 7. And it doesn't matter... Uh, what you've done or how long you've been doing it, like you can rebuild the foundation that you've built your life on. Jesus talks about this foundation in Matthew chapter 7. He says this in verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. And so really important because Jesus says, though the rain comes, like if I listen to his words and I follow it, I'm like a wise person because the reality is it's coming. The storms of life are coming. The difficulties are coming and you can't save yourself. You've got to build your house on a solid foundation. 
You've got to listen to the words of Jesus and actually follow and apply the words of Jesus. But then he goes on to say this in, in verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with what? With a mighty crash. My hope for you today is that you wouldn't build your house on sand, that instead you would build your house on a solid rock, that instead you would build your house on a foundation that when the rain comes, because listen, friend, it's coming. Regardless of how put together your life is, regardless of how good of a person you are, the rain and the wind and the storms of life are coming. And so will you be ready when they come? And so, uh, and the mighty crash is coming, especially if we're not building on the right kind of foundation. So the, the hard thing is in life, circumstances make us forget what we know to be true. Like the circumstances of our lives make us forget what we know to be true about ourselves and about who God is. And it's really during a crisis uh, that what we've built our lives on gets exposed. It's during the storm, it's during the tragedy, it's during the unexpected circumstance that comes up in our lives that it really gets exposed what, we, what it is that we built our lives on. So Luke chapter 7 is where we're actually going to be today. Matthew 7, we're also going to take a look at Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 7. And we've been doing this over the last couple of weeks. The last two people we've talked about in Luke chapter 7 are actually unnamed people. Uh, for whatever reason, Luke, the author of the gospel of Luke, doesn't give us these people's names. But the third person that gets talked about in the gospel of Luke is John the Baptist. Uh, and Luke is quick to tell us about him. And what we know about John the Baptist is he's the cousin of Jesus. Uh, we know that John the Baptist had kind of a weird diet. He ate honey and locusts. And so uh, that's honey and insects, which is really disgusting. He's kind of a paleo guy, I guess. I don't know. Non-carb, keto-friendly. Who knows uh, what... Why, why he ate what he ate. His wardrobe was kind of weird. It was made out of camel ha hair and a leather belt. But he was a renegade. And John the Baptist lived his life preaching about Jesus, talking about the person of Jesus, that, that Jesus before Jesus even comes on the scene as the Savior. John the Baptist, why Jesus is still like a carpenter, John the Baptist is preparing the way and talking about this coming Messiah that would come and forgive us of our sins. And so John was preaching that, that message over and over and over again Another fun fact about John the Baptist is John the Baptist actually baptized. The reason why he's known as John the Baptist is he's the one that actually baptizes his own cousin. What? Like, can you imagine that for a second, baptizing Jesus? I mean, you, you want to talk about feeling unworthy. I mean, absolutely, John himself felt unworthy to baptize Jesus, but he was the person that did that. But John was kind of an in-your-face kind of a guy, as you can well imagine, especially just what he ate and his wardrobe. Uh, he moves to the desert to preach and does all these things. But he offends uh, a ruler of the land, a high political leader of the day. His name was Herod. And he offended Herod because he just called Herod out on his sin. Herod was actually sleeping uh, with his wife's brother. Uh, and so uh, you can imagine the daytime drama that would have happened as a result of all of that. And the reality is, is that as John the Baptist just calls it for what it is and says that Herod is a wicked person. And so Herod is angry at John the Baptist and throws him in jail. And so he's in jail and Herod's at a party a few weeks later uh, and his, uh, his stepdaughter does some kind of a crazy dance. And the Bible, you can actually look this up in the Bible, like we don't, we don't know what kind of a dance it was, but it, apparently uh, it was arousing enough or uh, provocative enough to make Herod go, you can have anything that you want to this girl that does this dance. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. 
dude, somebody needs to call the Department of Family Services on this group, right? Like this is a really jacked up family. If you think your family's jacked up, uh, Herod's family was really jacked up. And Herod actually has to come through on what he promised. And so he actually executes John the Baptist. But before John the Baptist gets executed is actually where we're going to pick this story up in Luke chapter 7. He's in prison, and I believe that John has a pretty good idea that he's going to die. He's in prison, and his, his circumstances are definitely difficult. Like his circumstances make him question what the future holds for him. I mean, I don't know if that's you today, where you're in a situation and the reality is the foundation of your life gets exposed when your circumstances aren't going the way that you want them to go. Uh, and man, in this moment, John, who spent his life preaching about Jesus, talking about Jesus, uh, the rubber really meets the road because he realizes uh, that he is up against death and that in his prison cell, he's at the very end of his rope. And I want you to see what John the Baptist says to his, some of his own disciples. They send, they, he sends his own disciples to talk to Jesus. We'll, we'll pick this story up in Luke chapter 17. Uh, in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, it says this, the disciples of John the Baptist. So not Jesus' disciples, but the disciples of John. So the, the people that are in John's entourage uh, told John about everything that Jesus was doing. So Jesus is preaching, he's doing miracles, he's healing people. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, he sent them to Jesus to ask them, are you the Messiah we've been looking for or should we keep looking for someone else? Why is John asking that question? John's asking that question because in this moment, while he's in jail, he realizes that I don't know if my cousin Jesus is going to come and save me. And sometimes in our circumstances that don't go our way, we begin to have questions about who it is that God is. And so he sends his disciples to ask this question. Uh, verse 20, John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Can you imagine how like offendable that question would be? I mean, his own cousin, John the Baptist, is asking, are you, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one that's going to come rescue us? And it's in the moments when we don't see God showing up in our lives, in the unexpected storms of our lives, if our house is built on sand, it makes us question and doubt everything. And here's what I want to encourage you with today. God can handle your doubts. He can. And there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. And we're going to unpack that more as we talk here today. But verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, of their illnesses and evil spirits. And he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples this. And so it's interesting because the question gets asked. This is easily missed if you just read through your Bible sometimes. But the question gets asked, are you really the Messiah? And then Jesus just continues to heal people. Like he doesn't even answer the question. In, in normal Jesus fashion, they want a quick answer. And that's what we want, right? When we talk to God, we want kind of a quick answer about what's going on. And Jesus doesn't give these guys a quick answer. He just keeps healing people. He keeps teaching. He keeps doing these things. But then and he, goes, he says this. He says, some Bible scholars think it was a few hours later. Go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. And he says this. The blind see the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. 
And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What's he saying here? He's, he's telling John's disciples to go back and tell them everything you've seen. Tell them about the miracles. Tell them about the people's lives that are being transformed. Tell them the gospel is being preached. Let them know that. And then at the end, he says this. At the end, he simply says, God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. What is he saying here? What he's saying is, is happy is the person that doesn't live on their circumstances. Happy is the person that doesn't stumble in their faith because I didn't show up right when they thought that I should. So your current problem, there's a truth I need you to understand today. Your current problem is not a reflection about how God feels about you. Oftentimes we take it so personal when God doesn't show up in our timetable, when things go against our plan and we, don't, we can't reconcile it, we can't understand it and we take it personal and we think, man, this must mean that God doesn't really love me. This must mean that God isn't real. This must mean that God, there's no way God could forgive me of my past. But what's really puzzling about this, later on in verse 28, Jesus himself calls John the Baptist the goat. You may be thinking, well, maybe it's because John wasn't living up to what he should have been living up to. Maybe that's why Jesus, his cousin, doesn't come and rescue him out of prison. I mean, Jesus literally could have done anything here, but he just goes right back to healing people. This is the puzzling thing. And I don't know if you've ever been puzzled by God not showing up in your life, but if God's going to show up in anybody's life, if Jesus is going to come back and save anybody, wouldn't it be his own cousin? Wouldn't it be the one that, that spent his life preaching about Jesus? Wouldn't it be the one that baptized Jesus? Like, why does Jesus not show up? And I got to believe it's because he wanted people for generations to come, like you and I, to, to understand it's not about us. And man, we, we're so convinced that our life really is all about us and our comfort. Let's look at what he says about John the Baptist here in verse 28. And this is also puzzling. He says, I tell, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. He's just essentially saying John's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. And right now, this week, there's been a ton of debate about who's the greatest basketball player of all time, right? And there's been a, a big debate about that this week. And I grew up in the era of Michael Jordan. It's super difficult for me to separate nostalgia and just simply say, I don't, you know, I don't know, right? But, you know, the fact is, is LeBron statistically has, has blown Michael Jordan out of the water. And so it's just difficult for me. Like, in, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You know, a bigger debate, this is Super Bowl week. And so a bigger debate is who's the, who's the goat when it comes to football. And I'm a gigantic Chiefs fan, if you don't know that about me. Like, I'm sorry, but like, I, you know, I, I'm really praying and hoping the Chiefs win. That's kind of ridiculous to even say out loud. But like, um, I'm just a diehard Chiefs fan. And so as a result of being a diehard Chiefs fan, I believe that Patrick Mahomes is going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. He's going to be the goat. But all that to say, the goat uh, in the Bible Jesus himself says that John the Baptist was the greatest. No one was greater than him. So why in the world? Don't you think when it comes down to fairness, doesn't it make sense that Jesus would rescue John? But it's not about fairness, right? And it's important for us to understand we want fairness and we want justice. But maybe it was this, that God was teaching us a lesson, helping us to understand that just because he doesn't show up in the right moment for us, doesn't mean that he's dead, dormant, or distant. He loved John. In fact, when he found out uh, that John had died, he, he wept. And so three ways for us to rebuild our foundation based off of John's story. And I think this is really important. First of all, pause in the midst of your pain. 
I think sometimes when things come our way, when difficulties come, when the storm comes, it's easy for us to, to run away from God. It's easy for us to make some really bad decisions or to say some really dumb things, uh, whether we're saying dumb things to, pe to people that we love or we're saying even dumb things to God out loud. And I think it's important that we slow down and we pause in the midst of our pain. That when you're going through something, it's okay to grow what you're going through. Like you should do that. But I think initially when the storm comes, it's okay just to take a minute and just breathe and sit in your feelings and to actually feel your feelings. That you wouldn't just run to a group of friends or you wouldn't just run to drugs or alcohol. That instead you would slow down and pause in your pain and actually feel your feelings and talk to God about it. So to pause in your pain, the second thing to do is to trust in the hidden purposes of God. To simply say, God, I'm going to make it through. And I don't know why you're doing, why, why you're up to this in my life. I don't know why this happened in my life. I'm confused about it. But to simply trust in the fact that there may be something here that God is up to in your life and just to trust in his hidden purposes. Proverbs chapter 3 talks about not leaning into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. To trust him and to trust the path that he has for your life. And man, God is not interested in you just blindly believing. But what God is interested in is God is interested in you trusting him more and more and more. So how could you do that this week? Like in the circumstances that you're in, how could you just say, God, I'm going to trust you more. Trust in the hidden purposes of God. And then the third thing is, is don't lose your faith over your pain. And I think the, the scary thing for John was John in this prison cell, because of his circumstances, he had this moment of doubt. But I don't believe that his moment of doubt was a moment of unbelief. He had doubt that Jesus was the Messiah in this moment. And his disciples come back to him to tell him, listen, everything about me is true. That the blind see, the lame walk, the leper is healed, the poor are, are being proclaimed the gospel. Like he says all of this to John to let him know that I am who I said that I am. And I wonder today, maybe you just need to, for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, go, okay, I've got some doubt, God, about you, but I don't have unbelief. Because doubt says I got questions, but I'm still open to God's guidance. That's what doubt says. Unbelief says you've already made your mind up about who God is. My encouragement to you is, is God is big enough to handle your doubt. But would you press into that unbelief and go, okay, I know that there is a God who exists that is crazy about me and he sent his only son, Jesus, to come and die for me. Would you remove the unbelief in your life today? And so I, I got three quick next steps for you to consider this morning for online church. The first is this, is that would you decide uh, what it is that you build your life on? Like, what is it that you will absolutely build your life on? Is it your feelings? Uh, is it your circumstances? Is it your friends and your family? Like, is that what you're going to build your life on? Or are you going to build your life on a solid foundation, the foundation that God gives us through a relationship with him? Would you count on God's promises and not your feelings? Like, maybe that's a next step for you is that, man, you recognize that in your current circumstances, you feel highly emotional. And would you, instead of counting on how you feel, would you instead count on the promises of God? And then would you also look beyond your current circumstances and just do this, friends? Trust him. Like in the middle of your circumstance, whether it's a relational problem, a financial problem, a job problem, a problem with your kids, a problem with your health, like whatever it is today, would you say, God, I'm just, I'm just going to trust you. And here's my encouragement to you. You're going to make it through, man. It, but it all depends on what kind of a foundation you're going to live on. Are you going to live on you 
or are you going to live on him? And my hope and my prayer for you is that you'd live on him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for my friends that watched online today. Help every one of us to take a really clear next step. God, for some, it's just that we would decide what it is that our life is going to be built on. That it's not built on sand. The sand sometimes is, is good things. It's like our career and our kids and our spouses and the stuff we collect in life. But God, I pray that we would build our house on you, our life on you. God, help us also, God, to take the next step of saying, I'm going to count on your promises, that I know that you're always with me, that you're never going to leave me, that I don't have to lean into my own understanding, but I can trust in you. So God, I pray for the person that just needs to, to simply say, God, I'm counting on your promises. And, and Lord, I, I also pray that you would help every one of us not to look at our circumstances, but to simply just trust in you. Again, Father, we're grateful for your love for us and your presence in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.